The EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Olya Jordanian, EU Futures Project Coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is May 5th, and I talk to Ines Garcia de la Puente, a visiting assistant professor of Russian and comparative literature at Boston University. Yes, hi, hello, my name is Ines Garcia de la Puente. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection to Europe? Yeah. Um, well, I'm European, I'm, I'm Spanish, I was born, raised, educated in Spain. Um, I, I left my home country a few years ago, I, I lived in different European countries, I also lived in, in Russia, you might consider that uh, European or not, and I've been in the US for two years now. What is the future emerging now in Europe? What is the future emerging now in Europe? It's a completely different continent. Um, judging by what I saw in Spain growing up and what you see now, it's changed a lot. It's a much more diverse um, space. Um, but again, it's difficult to talk about Europe in general. I, I can tell you about what I saw in Spain growing up and what I see now when I go back. But that wouldn't compare to what you see or what you used to see, I don't know, in Germany or in Poland or in, in a Scandinavian country. Uh, when I was growing up in Spain, it was... Um, Everybody was similar. We all were Spanish. I remember if we happened to have a girl or a boy in school who came from a different country. I remember once we had a, a young student who came from um, Argentina. That was some, something exotic, like someone you would look at and that would be interesting and, and we would be excited about that new girl. Um, nowadays, it's very different. Uh, immigration is... Uh, is very important, especially from uh, South American countries, from Latin American, Spanish-speaking countries. Uh, it has changed the the landscape of the country. Um, it has decreased lately because of the economic crisis. Definitely, that's something that you you see in your daily life. Uh, I'm not an expert in in politics. I'm not a sociologist, but just by going to the street and you know doing the grocery shopping, talking to the people, you, you, you just come across people who tell you, well, I, I was here with my family, we came from whatever, from Ecuador, from Peru, and uh, we were all here for whatever, six, ten years, and well, now my children are back with my grandmother in Peru, and I'm actually moving back because of the crisis. So it, it's been changing a lot in the last uh, 30 years, I would say. Building on the inside of American essays, Rebecca Solent, who thought that the ideas originate in the periphery of society, what do you think, what is the role of literature in general in society, especially the European society, in terms of um, picking up these ideas in and launching a discourse over them? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Again, a very difficult question, especially if we talk about terms as... European society, who are we talking about, what is Europe, who in Europe are we talking about, what country, right? Um, regretfully, I think the, the, the role of literature is, is not as important as it should be, as we know, in, in, every, in every country, and it's, this is a discourse that I, I've heard everywhere, like 
people complain that people now read less than they used to read like 20, 30, 40 years ago. But again, this is something that I've heard in Russia. This is something that I've heard in Spain. This is something that I've heard in England. Um, so yeah, young people seem to read less. Um, older people, I don't know. It's very ironic, right? You you hear them complain that young people don't read. And then I know that, for example, in Spain, the best seller newspaper is the, you know, the, the sports newspapers. That's what people actually read in the tea or in, in the subway, in the, in the bus in the morning. I wouldn't count that necessarily as literature. It's reading, but it's not literature. Um, I mean, I personally think that literature plays a, a huge role. I think literature, good literature, shapes you. It shapes the person you are. It shapes the person you become, especially if you start reading at a younger age. It gives you the possibility of entering the lives of different people. It gives you the possibility of experiencing things that you might or might not experience in your life, but the experience of the characters of your books is going to I would say help you deal with maybe difficult situations when you actually have to go through that kind of experience. Um, it's going to open your mind, it's going to make you, a, I think, a, a, a person who is open to different experiences. Um, it's it's just so important for me to read. I, I cannot think of the person I would be if I hadn't read when I was growing up and still nowadays. I. When I teach, when I teach literature here at BU and elsewhere, I I always hope that my students are going to learn uh, something else other than just literature. And just literature is, of course, I'm using that in a in an ironic way. Um, I think it's literature. I think it, it's of course arts, but it's also um, eye-opening, mind-opening, and I hope that's what literature does and is doing. And even if people read less, I hope that whatever they read is, is also helping them in that way. What do you think is the role of artists and writers in terms of preserving national identities, but also kind of giving a space for, for a common European identity? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, talking about national identity and arts... Uh, It's so difficult. On the one hand, I think that uh, if you consider a work of art, literature, arts of any kind, to create a national identity, I think you're getting into a very tricky soil, a very tricky terrain. That's That sounds to me, I cannot avoid to relate that to the literature of totalitarisms, uh, the literature that was closer to propaganda and then what literature Uh, should be. So I might have a very negative view um, um, about that. Um, I hope that literature teaches, shows um, the opposite, or if it shows us, if it tries to teach us some kind of identity, it's not an exclusive identity, It's, it's something where, yeah, it's inclusive, where many people can identify with that, but uh, beyond borderlands or, or national borderlines. I, I want to think the literature is not um, creating more um, barriers, more borders than they already exist. Tell us a little bit about your interest in Eastern Slavic literature, Russian, mm-hmm. Ukrainian, Belarusian. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Uh, why? Because it's exotic. Because it was exotic uh, when I, you know, when I started university, I, I didn't have a very clear idea about what I wanted to do, what I wanted to become, but I knew I wanted to do literature. That was very clear to me. I knew I wanted to learn languages and I knew I wanted to live in different places. 
and I saw there was a possibility of getting this degree in, in, in Slavic literatures and I thought, wow, let's do that. And that's how it all started, by chance. And uh, of course that decision taken in, in five minutes when I was standing in a line in the secretary of my university at age 17 has decided who I am and what I do. Um, to me, studying literature, studying uh, Slavic literature, I also did German, has opened so many doors. It has given me the possibility of having so many experiences with so many different people that I would have never have met if I had stayed back in, in Spain when I was 18, when I was 17. Um, I thought it was um, exotic. I thought it was beautiful. Um, even, you know, beautiful and exotic at the same time because I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Of course, if if, if you had mentioned the name um, Tolstoy or Dostoevsky, I would have thought, oh, so exciting, so interested. But those were names that I knew from hearing, from maybe having read summaries of their novels when I was at high school. Um, but then I got into, into reading things and I realized how interesting that was. So, um, yeah, I just thought it was a, a wonderful field of, of research and it opened doors to a different culture, a different part of Europe. Let's not forget that I'm talking about the 90s, the, the you know, the Soviet Union had just collapsed, the, the, the Berlin Wall had also just collapsed. So it was a very different uh, time in history. And, and I would say contrasts back then were still much, uh, I mean, you, you could see them very, very easily when you just landed in, in you know, in the airport, wherever you were. Mm -hmm. Do you think literature helps um, Europeans who live in Western Europe, in Southern Europe, better understand their Eastern neighbors? Mm. I think it should. If only people read the, the literature that is that is uh, written about uh, the other part of, of Europe. Of course it should, but of course we also have a problem there of uh, translation. Uh, many books do go not, I mean, they, they are not translated, so we have the, the language barrier there. So not everybody is able to, to access, you know, the, the latest novels in, in Russian or in Polish or, or in any, any other Slavic language. But of course, just reading them makes it so much easier to to understand what is going on it gives you a first-hand picture of what's going on in the street what's going on in a you know in an average family in 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 a country sorry in in, in a um in a city in in, in a in an eastern european or, or slavic country so yes of course it would help and the other way around it's not only it's not only from the west towards the east but also from the east towards the west of course uh, the the West infiltrated much quicker, much earlier in, in the former Soviet Union. There was TV, there was all this, you know, it was very, uh, it was very, uh, it was magic attracting to, to you know, to, to certain people who had always lived behind the, the Iron cur Curtain. But yeah, of course it, it would have understand each other much better, but I think there's a lot of work there for, for translators and for publishing houses to, to invest money there. And we have the problem that we know that publishing is not the, the best business nowadays, so maybe we would need some um, involvement from, I don't know, from governments, from some, some kind of uh, encouragement, cultural encouragement to, to get things translated. There is an idea that, you know, decline in general level of education among, mm -hmm. among people across the world, and also this would <coughs> be right about Europe, makes the quality of discourse at all levels, you know, at political, mm -hmm. 
it's more social around more social questions be at a less higher quality mm -hmm. what do you think what can as i said writers artists people mm -hmm. who who do creative work mm -hmm. make th this improve they can improve a lot but again i think the problem is the same problem i i mentioned earlier on right that uh, in order for a writer to reach a readership, that readership has to actually hold his or her book in, in his or in, in their arm, in their um, hands and, and read it. And I think that's the problem is getting people to actually start reading the book. And if people don't start reading the book, doesn't matter how many wonderful new books books you have on the shelves and, and you know, at home or at the library or the, the the bookstore, people don't seem to be encouraged to, to read that because there are so many diversions, there are so many easier ways, you know, you go online and you get informed about things and, and you don't have to, you know, go through the hard work of, you know, reading page by page until you get to page 250 of, of a novel. Um, so yeah, the problem is, is uh, yeah, getting, motivating people to read and I think it's also part of that discourse that I mentioned before that um, we tend to, you know, it was always better earlier, like whatever happened 40 years ago, it was better, people were better educated, people were more polite, all that. Um, but I think it's also a fact, definitely. I think the high school level, at least from what I can tell in, in Spain, where I have a little bit of first-hand experience going back to, you know, the high school where I used to be, uh, where I used to go when I was 15, 16 years old, I went back when I was in my late 20s. And definitely the, the curriculum is, is different. There, I mean, there's a positive side to that. It's more uh, diverse in terms of the subjects that, that students, that kids have to learn. But... It's not as challenging. Um, students are not reading the amount of, of books that they used to read um, 40 years ago. That that I would agree. And from what I hear in other uh, in other countries, um, for example, in, in in Russia, I've also heard that uh, yeah, uh, students used to have to read much more um, in the 80s, even at the beginning of the 90s, then, then they they read now. So that seems to be, as you said, like something that's happening universally in, in the planet. Mm -hmm. In what kind of Europe would you like to live in the future? Well, in, in a Europe where, of course, where everybody feels comfortable, where everybody respects each other, um, I guess the kind of ideal United States, the ideal Europe that uh, we all have in mind, or, or many of us have in mind, uh, where everybody would feel welcome, where everybody would have the feeling that they can reach their potential, that there is there some, some kind of uh, support network where they can, uh, you know, reach, achieve what they want to achieve. I would love to see a, a multilingual euro where communication were not limited to your national language. Um, I don't know how good or how, how, how bad that is going, but uh, we have some work to do there. Um, it's really difficult to communicate with a newcomer if, if you don't share a, a, common, a common language. And languages just open the door to so many things. They open the door to literature in a different language, for example. They open the door to, to talking, to interacting with other people. So yeah, a, multi, a, a truly multilingual year where, where every single kid had the access of learning another language from childhood would, I think, make things uh, easier, nicer, better. We talked about literature, about the role of artists and writers. Is there anything else you would like to talk about? I think you mentioned the, the, the most important aspects. Uh, well, maybe, maybe we should 
keep in mind or, or, or consider not as much the role of, of artists, of, of writers, as the role of, of teachers, of those who actually introduce uh, children, introduce the, the potential readership to reading, right? We were talking about how difficult it is. There's wonderful books out there, but people just don't, don't read them. They don't borrow them from their library. They don't buy them. So, um, yeah, it's it would be uh, good to to invest in our teachers, in, in you know, um, motivating them to, to go to work every day. There is, of course, they have to Teachers at um, you know middle schools, high schools, uh, they they face uh, very difficult challenges nowadays, especially with you know with uh, the arrival of, of uh, immigrants from different countries. Where you know they and, and we have here, we, we have seen that in the U.S. for many years too, right? Where you have in the same classroom children who who barely speak whatever the language it is, English if it's in the U.S. or Spanish Spanish if it's in Spain, and and very often teachers don't have any any support to deal with that and it's so important to get the children from day one to feel happy to feel comfortable to feel that they are going to be able to 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 thrive to to you know to learn the language and, and to interact with the other children with you know everybody in the classroom it's such a wonderful opportunity but i think yeah education is is very very important and regretfully not every government considers that a, a priority but hopefully things will get better on that front Thank you so much for this interesting conversation. Thank you so much for interviewing me. Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C.